0: Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels, from the exceptional junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full-contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG Showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Empower equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. When we're not talking about hockey on Across the Pond, we're usually listening to music. And after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes, they usually need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG, or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in ATP20. Tell them Across the Pond sent ya. Wheel Hub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three-on-three inline hockey league. Wheel Hub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to their website at wheelhubasia.com. Do you like beer? I know I like beer, and my favorite type of beer is a Yardley Brothers beer. Remember when I used to ramble on about how delicious their Machine Men Pale Ale was last season? Well, at this year's Cathay Pacific International Wine and Spirits Competition, Gold medals were awarded to both the Yardy's Machine Men Pale Ale, as well as their new Mango Sticky Mango Imperial Gose. The boys even brought home some bronze awards at the 2020 Asia Beer Championship for their Mums Rhubarb Crumble Pastry Sour and their Gooseberry Custard Sour. But that's not all. On the same night, Yardy's also walked away with a gold medal for best experimental beer in Asia. My new favorite, the SEA Sour. You got to get this in your belly, folks. I don't tell no lies. For more information, go to yardleybrothers.hk.
1: One of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, from the chapter when the going gets rough, you talked about the names on the jerseys being taken away. Um, right. I know you've you've always been vocal about, you know, sticking up for what you believed in as a referee and, and all the turmoil that happened with the, you know, the strikes and all the things that you've helped implement in the game. Was that one of the things you were for or was and that you were fighting for or was that something that you had nothing to do with because I know you you mentioned like it takes away kind of your personality, but also it puts the onus on on you as an official and not a human. Like where where do you stand on on that? On that well decision
2: I, I think i think looking back at it we had just gone through a nasty strike um mm. there were replacement officials that, that carried on in our stead uh, that um, ultimately helped us because there were uh, the players were very frustrated with the quality that they were receiving and and uh, the protection lack of protection that they felt uh from a safety perspective um, but the the name um uh, the identity of an official, I think, is important in the sense that, and, and here's here's a good example. Gary Bettman decided that he was going to take our names off the jerseys at the start of that very next year. Okay. Gary said Gary said it was because he didn't want the focus on the official and the abuse. He thought it would cut down the abuse. I don't yeah. buy that. I don't agree with that. Nonetheless, he's the boss. He can do whatever he wants.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: However, whenever and I, and I was given the option as the most senior official to pick a number. And I said, okay, there's no one and there's no 99. Give me number two. So I took two. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I was asked by media, they said, why did you pick number two? I said, because my wife is number one. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I like that. Smart answer. husband. Smart husband. Yeah. Very smart yeah. answer. Yeah. So Shane Doan, captain of Arizona, um, came to me one game before the opening puck drop. And he said, what's the name? of your referee partner. I said, why, do you have a problem with him? He said, oh, no, 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 I just, I, I like to call the guys by name, and I don't know any of these guys now. They're just, they've got numbers on their back. I don't know who they are. So that relationship, and, and Shane is was a very intelligent captain, great guy, I love him. Uh, but that was something that the identity of the official was lost. It was like vanilla. But right. however, whenever there was a call that the fans didn't like in a game that I was working when we went into the two referee system and my partner would call the penalty. The fans, not knowing who he was would chant Fraser sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they didn't say number two sucks. They knew who I was. So identity, uh, you know, recognition, I think uh, is important uh, in the ability, not for ego, but for the official to continue to develop those kinds of relationships that are fruitful uh, within the game.
1: That's a great answer. Do you and do you believe that instant replays, um, where it's going right now, the amount of instant replays that we have—is there a, a line for you that shouldn't be crossed? Well, I, I, you know,
2: I encouraged the video review process when it came in. Uh, and and I felt that it was going to prove me right ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, um, that sounds cocky, but yeah, we see the game at a different level. We see it slower. Mm-hmm. I developed a positioning philosophy that was adopted by Canadian hockey. You probably were brought up on it mm-hmm. in the eighties. Uh, the piston and the you know those sorts of terminologies. Yeah, I designed it. Okay. Uh, because I was too small. To see over and around players, and I wanted to be in the perfect position or the optimum position, right. unobstructed, in advance of the players getting there. So um, that um, that kind of uh, positioning philosophy uh, is really important uh, to be in the right place at the right time to give the best judgment you can. Yeah. And and you alluded earlier, definitely we're going to make mistakes, um, but that's part of the human end. So once we had replay, I thought, and and scoring of goals is how games are won and lost.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There was a growth period because in a certain ranks, uh, there wasn't a standardized location where they would put that camera shooting down at the net. Mm-hmm. I had a playoff game. Toronto Maple Leafs were playing in Pittsburgh. I had a play where I saw from my position, I saw a shot being taken. It hit the one goal post. It was going across the line, on the line, flat. It flipped up on its edge, curled at the middle of the line. It curled, so I saw white between the the goal line, inside of the goal line, and the puck. With it up on its edge, it then flopped back down and went out the other side. I signaled a goal. This was the first year of video review. We went to video review. Charlie Banfield was a supervisor, Charlie from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. Great guy, good friend. We started in the league together. He was uh, up in the booth and they looked and they looked and they looked. He said, "Carrie, I can't help you because the camera was shooting straight down on the crossbar. We had no angle and couldn't tell. So the call came back to me on the ice, and I had signaled a goal, and it was a goal. Pat Quinn was the coach. He said, Fraser screwed us again. (laughs) Well, the next day, they had a replay from an ESPN handheld cameraman shooting over my shoulder. They enhanced it on SportsCenter. It did exactly what I said it did. It hit the post, went across flat, flipped up. There's the goal. Back down. And out the other side. Yeah. So, our training is such that we need to see everything back then before a replay. We wanted to see everything. Now, there's a safety net upstairs. I think it's overused. I think the, too much officiating is being done in Toronto in that room. Um, and the, the officials are um, how do I say this kindly? They're relying too heavily uh, on the safety net, they're not going and attacking the net. They're standing back deep in the corner. They're also standing at the trapezoid line. Oftentimes, if you think about it, that is death valley for a referee. Mm -hmm. You're going to get hit with the puck, but even more so, you're going to be in the line of where players are going to battle for the puck. That's player-occupied territory, and they're going to converge on you from both sides. And officials are going like this for their safety. There needs to be uh, some coaching and some some common sense. Uh, the direction they need to want to see everything, uh, and just have the video review there to prove them right.
1: Yeah, well, that's something that you know you have to really pride yourself on. Like I, I often challenge myself to never get hit with a puck. Um, positioning wise, like I learned by watching guys like you not always happen to be by the book. Sometimes you got to anticipate where the play's going and see something that maybe other people aren't going to see to get yourself in the right position to make a call, but that's your proudest moment. You're like, I was in the right place. I was doing exactly what I was trained to do and what my instincts, you know, brought me to in this moment. And you made the right call. So I mean, things like that are just that's what makes that's what makes it worthwhile.
2: Chris, I used to challenge myself. I was a pretty good skater. So in yeah. the early eighties, the Edmonton Oilers were just an awesome team and they were all those young guns. They were fast. Yeah. They had a power play situation where Paul coffee would get the puck behind the net. Uh, they would put Messier um, at the, uh, their blue line with his stick over the blue line. We had a red line center line, offside pass situation back then in the rules. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they'd have, Another guy, Gretz in the middle at the far blue line. So when Coffee came, and I would go as a referee as deep as the deepest four-checker on a penalty kill, I would see Coffee get the puck behind the net. he pressed down on his stick. His body language is telling me, I know all of the outlets that he has on the ice. I see that. I take little pictures with my eyes. Yeah. I know where his outlets are. I know where the attackers are and potential foul. As soon as he pressed down on that stick, And I know it's going, he's going to release it. And I know where it's going. I am already in motion. I'm already moving. And I'm chasing the play the pass to Messier at the blue line with his stick over the blue line was one touch pass tipped to the far blue line where maybe Glenn Anderson was standing. And if I stood there watching that coffee pass I'm flat-footed. There's no way I'm going to get to that end zone. i got a linesman going in That's to make right. a ruling if there's a goal. That's right. So that was my challenge. I would see it in an advance. I would know where it's going. I would attack it. I put a little um, sort of challenge to myself. When there was a play at the goal line and, and with one referee and I'm chasing the play, I want to be on that goal line by the time the puck is shot at the net. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I was Pretty good skater, yeah. Um, but that, those, those are the thought processes that are going through your mind as a referee. Yeah, it's not just all of a sudden something happens and you go, "Oh wow, what was that?" You got to see it in advance. Yeah. You really do.
1: And I don't know if people appreciate how difficult it was in the the, the three man system. I mean, as a sole referee, I mean, two or three turnovers in the neutral zone and you're done. <laughs> I mean, your legs are. You know, you're dragging your butt down the ice. And I mean, I remember. Well, al- Go ahead. I'm gonna, sorry. I was going to say, I remember like my first time doing like a major a trip, midget AAA game and there's a few turnovers and you're gassed. And oh. I never, I never got to ref in the, the four man system until I came over to Asia because back home at the time we were still using the three man system. So that leads me to my next question about some rule changes and things that happened. Were you, were you happy about the the two man, two referee system being implemented?
2: Uh yes and and uh when I did the Olympics in uh, Nagano Japan in 98 uh there was uh, no uh red line utilized for offside pass. Right. Uh so one referee, two linesmen you're chasing the play, uh nobody can skate as fast as a hard pass. Uh so um the other thing so we changed to that stretch out uh pass. Uh, which certainly um, you needed an extra body in a different position. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that was uh, really important to move into that uh, two-referee system was that Gary Bettman uh, was pleading with us to try and uh, get rid of the clutch and grab and the hooks and the holds. Right. Uh, it, the game was being you know, dominated by unskilled players doing unskilled acts that we allowed uh, on the skilled players containment. You'd hear skate by a bench. You'd hear a coach's holler, hold them up, hold them up. So that was a hook, a water ski. Mm -hmm. Uh, We tried unsuccessfully, you know, where we'd start the season firm on it, but players knew that it would eventually go back the way it was and that did. Uh, So if you think about this, Chris, let's, let's think about broadcasting a game. You've got one camera and that one camera is following the play all the time. So as that camera follows the play, all you're doing is looking through the backs of the players. You're not seeing a foul from the front. You're not seeing the hook, the touch. You're not seeing the skills that are taking place um, or the foul. So put a second camera on the front view, which is usually the best view looking into a play. Yeah, And that's what we accomplished with the two-referee system. Now, there were certainly... Some, some bugs that had to be worked out of that system. We yeah. brought in a whole bunch of guys uh, from the American Hockey League uh, that uh, were inexperienced at the NHL level pretty much. They wanted to be in charge because they were in their three ref- or one referee, two uh, linesman system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to be recognized as the guy in charge sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was a little battle of who's going to make the – the calls mm-hmm. um not so much from the veterans but from the younger officials uh, so we had to work those kinks out um the game was faster for them uh so things were happening more quickly than they were used to they had to adjust to that speed of the game and then the game got really much faster uh because of the uh, after the first lockout in 04 uh, uh we came back in 2005 um there was the no hook no touch game increased speed exponentially Mm -hmm. uh, with the lack of uh, restraint uh, that was uh, allowed to happen previously. Uh, So all those things put together, we needed two referees and the two linesman system to be effective uh, on the ice. The challenge was to mesh our judgment so that when it happened at one end, the players had the confidence to know that it would be called at that end as much as the other end. Mm -hmm. The one thing that used to bug me and drive me crazy was if I was looking at a play from 15 feet and I'm on that, on that play, and it's pretty much my call to make, and I deem it not to be a penalty. I might even shake my head or give a verbal command, nothing there, play on. And then 10 seconds later, a whistle blows with a guy a hundred feet away with his arm up. It's the worst. Um, I would have conversations uh, with my partners in a sort of a pregame and this is how it would go. I'm going to take you inside the locker room right now, the referee's room. I'd say, okay guys, we got uh, two teams playing tonight. This is what I've got the press notes. This is what they did in the past. Uh, we got uh, one guy in the bubble here. If he gets an instigator penalty, he's, he's going to get a, uh, a game misconduct and a one game suspension. So let's make sure if there's a fight and he's in, He earns it if he is the instigator. And now, ref partner, I I trust your judgment. You've got really good judgment. When you're looking at a play and you're 15 feet from it, I'm going to give you that call. That's your call to make, and I'm going to trust you. Unless I see from a long distance that you've got turned, you're not looking at it, something happened that prevented you from calling an obvious penalty, and then I'll get involved. But other than that, I'm going to leave it to you on the other hand at my end my judgment isn't all that bad either and i would expect that if i'm looking at something from 15 feet unless it's uh, i blink or i'm turned around or whatever i expect you to give me that
1: call yeah and i mean that's something that you you, you got to have a cohesion you got to have like some type of relationship with this other referee because those things are not easily established and you know this happened to me recently where I even yelled at the players it's good guys good battle move on and the other referee's arm was up and I mean he <sighs> felt terrible after the game he's like I oh, you know you stepped on your toes and he's like I honestly I thought your back was turned a little bit I thought you didn't see it and you know right. like, I'm sure like developing, you know, relationships with people over time and you, which you were able to accomplish. I mean, you can, you can kind of have that relationship with the other guy on the ice.
2: Chris, there were two times that I, I assessed penalties or was about to and took them away.
1: Took them away.
2: I took them away. Okay. First one was in Los Angeles. Yes. Terry Murray was coaching the LA Kings, a, a player attacking the LA goal. It skates over the blue line with the puck. He's 10 plus feet inside the zone with the puck on his stick and he gets tripped. Mm-hmm. And I raised my arm to call a tripping penalty. As I raised my arm to call the tripping penalty, a whistle blew at the blue line. I went to the linesman. I said, what happened? He said, it was offside at the blue line. And my I was slow with the whistle. Oh, slow. Okay. The guy skated 10, 15 feet into the zone with a puck. Now, the play's dead at the blue line. Yeah, Everybody, 20,000 people in the Staples Arena in L.A. saw me call a penalty on an obvious trip. Mm -hmm. I went to Terry Murray, the coach of the L.A. Kings. I said, Terry, I'm not calling that penalty. I said it was offside at the blue line. The linesman missed his mouth with the whistle. It was delayed. It was slow. And we're not. It's plays dead. Yeah. Offside at the blue line. He said, you can't do that. I said, I just did. I said, you know, in football, when they throw the flag and they say it's an errant flag, I said, that was an errant arm. (laughs) So I now (laughs) had to go and flip on the mic, announce because the media broadcasters see it. They, I gave an explanation, Play offside at the blue line. There was no penalty on the play. Boom. And I said to the linesman, drop the puck. Let's go get it moving quick. The other time, This one was bizarre. It was a a game uh, towards the end of the season, and it was in Dallas. uh, And uh, St. Louis Blues were playing. And I had a young French referee with me, didn't speak English very well. He was a call-up. And I went through the process, and I said, okay, we got this guy for St. Louis. He's on the bubble. If he gets an instigator, he's out of the game, and he's got a one-game suspension. Just towards 30 seconds left in the first period, we had a fight break and another uh, breakout simultaneously. So we have two fights going at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm on the I'm on the the first one, and my partner's on the second. We converge at the uh, at the referee's crease to assess the penalties. And I said, "What have you got?" He said, "That guy there. He's got the instigator." I said, "That guy is, for St. Louis is the guy that is." on the bubble and he's going to be ejected and he's got a one game set. Are you sure? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. It didn't sit right with me, but we assess the penalties. Yeah. Now we go into the dressing room and I said to the, the, my partner, I said, would you demonstrate to me what took place in that play? He said, yeah, sure. He says, uh, the, the St. Louis guy pushed the one guy, the other guy push him back. They push, push, and then the St. Louis dropped his gloves and the other guy dropped his gloves and they fight. I said, We're that's not instigator. an instigator. Yeah. I said, that's like, you know, simultaneous combustion. <laughs> yeah. He went, Oh, now we have a phone in the room that's linked directly to Toronto, the red phone. I picked it up. Mm-hmm. I got Mike Murphy on the line. I said, Mike, listen, we got a problem here. I said, I think it was just a, a you know, a, difficulty in, uh, language between French and English. Uh, cause I wasn't going to throw my guy under the bus. And I said, uh, but, um, th- there's no way that should have been a instigator penalty. He said, yeah. He said, I've already had both general managers, uh, call me, uh, and want to know how that was an instigator. Right. I said, he said, what are you going what are you going to do? What do you want to do? I said, well, I, I want to fix this. I said, I would like to call both GMs over Get them over to my dressing room. I'm going to exp- uh, send word to tell the guy to to uh, you know get, get dressed again. We're going to thank God they didn't score on it. Thirty seconds on the because they got an extra minor right right for yeah. the instigator. They haven't scored on it. Let's pull it. The minute and thirty left on the clock. Wow. We take it off the clock, and he's going to play. And it's five five minutes each for fighting, and and uh, that's it. He said, "Good idea." Wow! And that's what happened. Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds and, into a penalty, you took it sir, off the board. That is took awesome. it away, and yeah. I made an announcement so that the media knew what the heck yeah. was going on.
1: That is incredible. I mean, that's really know,
2: unorthodox. Never heard Big of anything unorthodox. like that. But
1: uh, I mean, every once in a while, common sense has to take over, right? um it's So, are right. there are, were there any other rules that you wish? we're still around in the league, that things that aren't anymore, were there any rule changes that you were like, Oh, I wish we didn't do that.
2: Well, certainly the, and it was eliminated. The the one year it was put in was the toe in the crease. I mean, <laughs> Oh my God. I thought what you a might, disaster. I thought you might go there. Oh, what a disaster.
1: Yeah. And that, that ruined that, a few good hockey games, didn't it? Oh, it was terrible and and
2: uh, you know it the last game of the Stanley Cup final that year with uh, buffalo and dallas with Brett Hall uh, mm-hmm. you know he he didn't have his toe in the crease he was he had that big tree of a leg is it was right in the middle of the crease uh-huh. um and it uh it didn't work out so well uh, they had to uh, do some damage control on that one
1: Yeah, definitely not one of my favorites either. The other one I wanted to ask you about is the puck in the crowd, uh, puck over the glass penalties. I mean, you guys are, you know, responsible for making a judgment call on so many other things that are going on in the ice. Is, was it really important that that rule be established? Was there a problem with people purposely shooting the pucks over the ice? Like, Because to me, and I remember Don Cherry would harp about this all the time, it's going to cost a team a playoff game. It's going to cost them an overtime, especially when someone's already shorthanded and they're just desperate to get the puck out and it's rolling and it goes over the glass. What are your overall thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think there was, you know, we had a, a puck that went into the crowd In Columbus, and uh, a young person was killed. Yes. Uh, Tragic. Uh, The mesh went up, but uh, I think that may have contributed in some way to that rule, Uh, you know, sort of a a quick reaction uh, to try and keep the puck in play uh, beyond just putting netting up at the back end. Mm -hmm. Um, The other aspect of it was that it was a it was always a judgment call when when i was brought into the league yeah. uh and so if a player deliberately mm-hmm.
1: clearly
2: with pressure on them and a long shift if he dumps the puck over the glass i think my judgment would dictate that that should be a penalty me too however if he's just trying to advance the puck up the ice
1: yeah
2: and it it's you know Misses the glass because we had inconsistent heights of glass. There you go. In the early going,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't think that now we got standard glass. It's awful high. Um, I, I I think that uh, that's a penalty. The previous penalty in the heat of a game in the late stages, there was a reluctance. If it was deliberately shot over the glass, there would be a reluctance by most referees to make that tough call. Right. It seemed like to make it well. Yeah, when you let other things go that were maybe you know obvious, Mm -hmm. uh, as we often hear, you know, let them play in the in the playoffs. It's a different kind of officiating, different rule book. Mm -hmm. Blah blah blah. The guys get enough criticism for it, uh, and then um, this one becomes so black and white that it's an easy call.
1: Right. That's I mean that. That's the good side of it, that it, it takes away that right. little bit of onus. But I, I would rather trust you to make the right call, to be honest. I mean, that's what yeah. you're there for. Well, for
2: sure. And and it, it comes at a bad time, uh, mm-hmm. always in a game um, that can end a, you know, a pretty darn good hockey game. Absolutely. Uh, I guess we put the onus on the players. Um, my personal feeling is I would rather have that uh, call to make. Mm -hmm. Or not make, Um, and it's it's not. Well, you know, let's think. Let's let's backtrack a little bit here. Let's talk about scoring opportunities. And if the pressure is on, Mm -hmm. and we're in the late stages of a game, and even though a team is on their heels, and a guy flips one, advancing it a little bit, and it's over the glass within his end zone. Is the referee going to make that call? Maybe, maybe right. not. So it took the pressure off, maybe prevented a goal being scored with the team back on their heels on a long shift. And so there's, you know, there's there's two components here. You can argue yeah. both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not usually a neutral in the middle kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal preference is I think I have the ability and the judgment to make that call. Uh, and the courage—the courage to make that call.
1: Absolutely, and I agree a hundred percent. Um, Are there any? We t- you talked about the huge change, which was the biggest one in my lifetime, was the clutching and grabbing, the getting rid of the the red line, trying to open the game up. So the the whole idea of making a faster, more entertaining game, um, but that brought in a whole, whole new plethora of problems as well, which was massive hits, massive headhunting hits, uh, guys weren't finding ways to slow people down. You know, what What changes are happening now or what's something that's coming in the pipeline that we can see that's going to help correct some of these issues that have come with the speed of the game?
2: Well, I think uh, it's there's been uh, positive change uh, over time. Uh, since we came back from 05, and that's when it first started and that was when the hooking and the holding uh, were eliminated the speed uh, defensemen were vulnerable when they were the tag up offside situation or the dump on the attack players are going full speed uh and the the defensemen were vulnerable to go back and get the puck goalies couldn't come out of the crease beyond the trapezoid to to play the puck and assist their d on on the attacks so all of those things put together created some vulnerability Mm -hmm. for hits from behind on the d with a fast coming attacker uh full speed ahead um so that being said you you've got uh the other thing that took place was the little hooks and the holes that previously were never called away from the puck it had no bearing on the puck or the play per se other than holding up an attacker which had some effect negative Mm -hmm. effect obviously Uh, but now that that wasn't happening um, little touches and little hooks and holds were being called so players started to think gee if that's a penalty I'm going to play a little more cautious I'm not going to body check as much Mm -hmm. so what developed was a directive that let's not overreact to good hits open ice hits hits elsewhere
1: mm-hmm.
2: that message was given a wrong approach i believe by the officials that subliminally the league wanted more hits and the players you know when when the horse is out of the barn and it starts to run they just, it snowballed and it got bigger hits, open ice hits, higher hits instead of just body checking to gain possession of the puck. It was massive train wreck hits to put guys on sports center. Mm -hmm. And that became sort of the flavor of the time. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to pull the reins in. Um, So we had high hits, head hits, hits from behind into the boards. Um I think that as a referee, you and, and we're talking player safety here.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's what rules are designed for
1: mm-hmm.
2: primarily. Um so the referees have to know the difference and have the ability to be supported when they make those kind of calls that are dangerous. Charging, high hits, players leave their feet. Um, The leaving of the feet became accepted because the comment would be that's just creating velocity through the check. the
1: follow-through, yeah.
2: I think BS. I mean, there's no need to do that. There's no need to do that. Mm -hmm. We don't need that kind of velocity and we don't need, when you leave your feet, everything is going up and it's going up in this direction. Mm -hmm. So they have done a, a much, much better job uh, and they being, uh, department of player safety, uh, Georgie Perros is in charge there now. Yeah. I really like George. Great guy. He was a tough guy fighter. He takes a lot of criticism for his decisions, but, uh, he's doing the best he can. And, and, uh, they've, they've come off a long way over time. And I think medically we know more now. Yeah, um, of course. And there were people the you know, sort of the dinosaurs and Neanderthals yeah. that, uh, wanted to keep it the way it was um but we can argue about style of play mm-hmm. but when it becomes proven medical fact yeah as to what can result i think uh there's no argument there absolutely or there should not be
1: no uh the next one is the instigator rule are you a fan uh
2: yeah but you know what fighting is pretty much taken care of itself Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went through the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and the two thousands. And, and that to tell you early eighties, we had, every team had a couple of enforcers, uh, to protect their star players. Those guys usually fought themselves, each other, um, and a couple of times a game sometimes. Um, but the game can't afford, you can't afford as a team to have a guy on the bench that can't play that just does one thing, one component and their fighting has been reduced drastically. So the instigator still there. Um, I I think that it's not going to prevent anybody that would want to seek retribution. I don't think it really is because number one, as I just said, you can't have a player on the, on the team, on the bench yeah, right. that can't play, that all they can do is fight. Um, so from that perspective, uh, it's there. It's still a little bit of a deterrent, maybe. If uh, if a player and the linesmen are instructed, if a player loses his helmet during a fight, they're to get in there because mm-hmm. they don't want a guy falling on the back of his head. Right. There was a fatality in uh, Ontario and in college hockey as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it's it's a wise decision, I think, and it's not really a big deal because we don't have that many fights anymore and i i I gotta tell you i get a real kick out of the commentators when there's a couple of fights going on at once yeah and they're saying we've got
1: a brawl going on (laughs) yeah they have no idea what a brawl is trust me yeah you've seen a few of those um boy i'll say the next one i want to ask you about is something you only dealt with later on in your career it's having a microphone on you microphones being everywhere and after seeing what happened to Tim Peel, um, you know, Tim's a guy that yeah. I met. I actually met him in Red Story in 2001 in Digby, Nova Scotia at a golf tournament. Tim was so nice. Right. He actually gave me, he gave me his welcome package that the, he got for this golf tournament. I'll never forget it. I was like 19 years old, 18 years old. And um, had great conversations with him, got to meet Red Story. you know, I followed Tim throughout his career, and he was one of the guys because I met him and there was a personal connection, I would watch him during games, right and try and learn from his positioning and things like that. But <laughs> when I saw what happened to him, and I mean, we all know the story. he got hit with a hot mic, you know, was that it's not something you dealt with very often in your career, I'm sure. What are your thoughts on that and like how that was handled?
2: Well, uh, first of all, uh, Tim is a friend of mine, and uh, I just—I I was just golfing with him uh, about three, or four weeks ago uh, up nice. in uh, Columbus. Uh, but uh, and I kept in touch with Tim after I retired, and and uh, Tim there there were times where he was—he's a flamboyant guy, as you know, mm-hmm. and he's he's fun, and but he says things sometimes mm-hmm. that you know when he laughs at himself, or, yeah, uh, when he got caught with the mic and you got to know first of all that there's mics all over trying to capture sound of the game and you've got to be more controlled um it brings into the question do referees make even up calls Mm -hmm. and the answer would be yes every referee has done that when he feels he's made a mistake on a, on a play. I tried not to do that because I think two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. Um, But there are times in a game when as a referee and feeling that temperature and that pulse of the game, that I feel the game needs a penalty to to bring the temperature down. It might be coincidental penalties. It might be, you know, one team is, is taking too many liberties and it's time. It's time to pull the reins in. They're not getting the message. Uh, So, but I'm not going to invent a penalty. It's got to stand. It's got to be able to stand the litmus test of a replay. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would ever, ever do is to say to anybody, it wasn't much, but I needed, I wanted to get them. I wanted to get that one. I mean, so I I called Peelzy at the time uh, to support him. and and I said, first of all, what were you thinking, but like mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, maybe we all have at times in a game felt the need to, to the game needed a penalty. Um we for control factor. Mm-hmm. But and, and there was no excuse. Like he just said, oh man, I know, you know, I, I went brain dead. Yeah. Uh and there had to be because it, it blew up so much, and because the media now in this day and age, in everything, makes such a big deal of it, of everything that goes on, uh, and the political correctness and the integrity and the, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, I understand why the league did what they did. Um, I, I think Tim uh, Tim's been taken care of appropriately mm-hmm. in terms of his severance and his all those other things he was, he was going to retire at the end of the I season. Know.
1: That's the sad part that this happens. Yeah. So late.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But he's got to look at itself. You know, he, he, there's times when we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, ah,
1: yeah, you're right.
2: Uh, I own it. Yep. I own it. And he does. And, uh, now he's, uh, he's doing some other things and, uh, we're playing golf together, uh, as part of a golf organization. And he had a, a great career, 20 years. He had a good run. And, uh, he's now, uh, you know spending really quality time with his family uh he's a great dad great husband and uh you know it it was a phase of his life just like my career was a phase of my life
1: well that's what i'm really glad to hear that because i really did feel terrible like i felt like you know it was just such bad timing for him in his career but yeah things happen you got to be accountable i just felt bad for him in that moment because oh sure we, we may have all had those thoughts um, I'm sure like things happen and heat of, or even when games starting to get out of control you, sometimes you're just like, okay, I gotta get a handle on this you, you just don't say those things out loud and with with mics all around and that's what so let me goes. ask you as, as yep.
2: a referee, has yep. there ever been a time in a game when you've consciously decided that you're going to call up you're going to get a penalty get a penalty.
1: Uh, there's been times where I see games getting out of control, um, especially when refing over here. There's a lot of um, uh, like the talent level is there's a big gap sometimes, and they're the hardest games to ever ref when you got a guy who played major junior and a guy who All played right. midget B. I mean, you, there's got to be consequences to things. There's so much game management going on. Sometimes the most important penalties are the ones you don't call, and other times, Things are getting out of hand. There's bumps and stuff after the whistles or whatever it is. And you start to feel like you need to gain control, like you said. But I've never had the feeling like I need to have a makeup call. Because when I make a mistake, I'll just own up to it and be like, sorry, guys. I'll, I'll do my best to get the next one.
2: Good for you. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I would say uh, when players would come to me and say, you blew that call. Yeah, you always and I want- might. Ref- I'd reflect on it. And yeah. that's exactly what they said. They yeah. would say, well, you owe us one. I'd yeah. apologize. You know what? You may be right. You owe us one. And my standard answer, two wrongs don't make it right. Do me a favor. Please kill this thing.
1: Yes, exactly. So, Carrie, we've been talking for a long time. I don't want to keep you too long, but I do have a few quick questions. People sure. always, once I told people that you were coming on the show, of course, everybody just wants me to ask about your hair, uh, the call against the, the Leafs call, things that you've talked about yeah like ad nauseum like so many times it's it's not even worth bringing up anymore but you still have the fabulous hair i must say um was uh, but the biggest question people wanted to know any secrets what was your what was your uh, <laughs> what was uh, what was your secret to keeping the hair so good well, first
2: of all, it's hereditary, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I've—I was diagnosed with uh, a very rare form of blood cancer in 2017, and I—I I take yeah. nine chemo pills a week mm-hmm. since 2017. One of the side effects, beyond fatigue, uh, could be hair loss. That hasn't happened, so touch touch the old block. Yeah, uh, but you know the secret. I had a playoff game in the old Buffalo Auditorium. Yeah. I hated that ring pucks would bounce off the glass. It was a disaster. Anyway, Boston Bruins won the playoff game, one nothing. In the old odd, we used to walk out of our dressing room by the visitor's dressing room and we were right in with the crowd. There was no security. Fans could just wait and stand there. I walked out with my bag and a lady got right in my face. She said, Carrie, I got a question for you. I went, oh boy, I didn't think anything happened in the game, but yeah. so I set the, I set my referee bag down. I said, yes, ma'am. Uh, what is it? She said, listen, she said, I've got real problem here. You fly around that ice hundred miles an hour. You don't have a hair out of place. Never moves. What's your secret? I said, Paul Mitchell Freeze and shine for the heavy days. She said, <laughs> great. I'm going to go buy a case of it. Thanks a lot.
1: That was there it. you have it folks there's the secret the big the big <laughs> secret of carrie Fraser's success paul paul mitchell is that what it was called
2: paul mitchell paul there mitchell freezing
1: shine was the
2: stuff back then it was like spraying on a helmet <laughs> and uh but but now that i'm i'm not uh, officiating they have a wonderful product uh called uh fast drying sculpting spray
1: there you Keeps go it
2: nice and light nice and light
1: well, it's working. Whatever you're doing, um, and how are and how are you feeling? I mean, you've been battling this the rare form of cancer for five years now. Um, you look amazing. The, some of the pictures and videos that you've sent me, you're you're doing these charity events and hiking mountains and climbing the Rockies and raising money for charities. How are you feeling? And how are you able to 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 do all these things?
2: Well, I just did a 24-hour hockey marathon, the annual uh, event we do up in Long Island. It was with Adam Graves and and Stefan Matteau and Colton Orr and and, uh, Eric Cairns, two tough guys. They actually, uh, Colton told me the very first fight he had in the NHL was against Eric Cairns. And I said, how did you do? And if you look at the picture that I sent out, on Twitter, you can see the size of them. They were playing in the sled hockey game with uh, with our uh, special needs uh, sled uh, hockey uh, teams, and uh, the size of Eric Karen's huge guy and Colton's a big guy, but he looks like a, a little midget next to uh, yeah. to uh, Eric. Yeah. And he said to me, "He said I did pretty good. He said he was a big target.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, funny. Man. So you so, yeah, you look like you're I, feeling I, pretty I, good." Well,
2: you know, I push myself and yeah. my wife gets a little angry at me sometimes of because course, I'm like yeah. the energizer bunny and yeah. I've hit the wall. Um, you know, I, I, I got COVID and then three, I have three weeks out of clear out of COVID. I did the mountain hikes, uh, 30 miles in uh, the, uh, Alberta, Montana border. Uh, it was pretty intense and, um, I, uh, and it was for cancer with the other blood cancer patients. It mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um, uh, but, you know, when you when you climb the mountain and you get to the summit and you look down and it was a real spiritual experience uh, to to uh, be thankful uh, that I was able to do it. You know, even with yeah. what we all had, we accomplished it. We climbed the mountain. And when I was diagnosed, uh, you know, with this blood cancer, uh, Mark Messier phoned me and he said, hey, phrase, he said, you never stop fighting you never, never give up. And of course, I'm going to see Mark Messier this Friday uh, along with Justin Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a golf charity uh, thing that uh, is taking place at Caves Valley in Baltimore for the Patriot Fund. A gentleman bids sixty thousand dollars to play with us. Wow! Um, yeah, and it's an overnighter, and it's going to be great. And I, I say to everybody, uh, the sixty thousand for the Patriot Fund. It was. 59,995 that the gentleman paid to play with mess and justin williams and five bucks for me
1: <laughs> i got well, it to the, 60 <laughs> there you go well i mean those this this is what you, goes back to what you said about the hockey community and how much people give back and you know look out for each other and help each other out um the final chapter of the book letting go and the decision to retire um obviously never an easy decision for anyone how did you handle that and uh did you make the right decision at the right time? If looking back at it now,
2: I think so. I could have stayed another year or so, um, yeah. but I'd accomplished pretty much, you know, everything that needed to be accomplished. Uh, I think that um, the uh, I was 58 years old when I left the ice. I yeah. mean, that's I know I could still do it. Uh, Jim Gregory, the vice president of the league, who's God rest his soul said, Fraser, you could do this till you're 60. Um, probably could have, but uh, it was it was time. And uh, there were youngers, uh, younger people coming down the, the pike. I selected uh, for my referee partner in that final game, Kelly Sutherland, who uh, I instructed at our referee school that I was part of in Calgary uh, when he was 18 years old. Yeah. Um, I looked at this kid as a, as a young official and I thought he's a, he's a can't miss. We got him into the Western hockey league at that time. He started his development. Uh, it was interesting because as I looked at this young boy on the ice, he had all of the mannerisms that I had. He combed his hair the same way (laughs) as I did. He, he was like mini me. And, uh, one of the, uh, one of his friends confided in me that, uh, during that camp that ask him, uh, see a picture uh in his wallet uh he didn't have a picture of his girlfriend he had my hockey card in his wallet <laughs> so i and he is <laughs> oh, he is an outstanding he's an outstanding referee just did yeah. the finals and uh, again uh and uh so you know chris when you do things for others you forget about things that you know you might have that are seemingly important for yourself yeah. um when, when I immediately wrote the book from retirement, to answer your question, uh, that I needed to find my way. I needed to find out what I was going to do. The writing of the book and the marketing of the, the promotion of the book and the speaking and that sort of thing just fell into place. And I was recruited by TSN as a result of of being on TV and, and doing some shows, uh, recruiting uh, – or promoting the book um, so for three years I was with TSN we had the NHL broadcast rights I didn't make a lot of friends in my hockey community um, in my officiating community uh, because I'm an honest tell it like it is guy if a, if a, and, and if I re- refereed made a mistake just like you said you admit it you admit your mistake you're you're yeah. not perfect none yeah. of us are mm-hmm. so my job, was to tell it like it is, but not just point out that the official was incorrect in the assessment of a penalty or his judgment. It was about educating people as to why, showing them the human side of it. And, and the guys. And, and I can understand it. Nobody likes to be criticized, especially publicly, and especially by one of your own. Uh, but it was important. And I think there was an education of fans along the way that I saw. Uh, even when we started to write the Come On Ref blog, yeah. um, fans started yeah. out really critical. You know, Fraser, you suck anyway. You blew the call in 93, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was unmerciful. But again, I, I tried to hold that line, treat disrespect with respect. I answered their questions. I, I blogged back in with them, uh, tried to explain Yes, the referee didn't make the correct call, but here's why. And we would show video. And this is his sight line. Mm-hmm. Had he had a different one, probably would have made a different uh, decision. So I think there was positive stuff. But nonetheless, um, you can only control what you can control. And uh, I, uh, I had to be true uh, because if you just spin, if you just send spin, mm. you have no credibility. fans are going to say that's just that's regurgitating the company line uh and i don't think anybody benefits from that
1: i agree and i have to say kelly and wes probably the two best officials in the game right now uh two guys that you basically (laughs) groomed on your on on the way up seemingly um and it did another thing i wanted to say was um late the last couple years starting with the come on ref thing we've now got in between periods even in between whistles we've got dave jackson coming on telling us explaining a play to the fans uh to the what to casual watchers especially in the playoffs where you know everything is heightened so much it's so nice to have these guys is that something right. that that you enjoy or something that maybe you'll become more of a part of doing something like that
2: well it's something that i did we started yeah. it at TSM. you started with,
1: yeah i mean um yeah. As that evolves, are you going to continue to be part of that, I guess, is what I was
2: saying. No, I don't believe so. And uh, I'll tell you why the the league controls that. And uh, uh, I'll say this in all honesty. I think that um, Dave does a great job. He communicates well. There are times when the company, the, the NHL controls broadcasting uh and there is sort of a um, direction that they would want uh, individuals making comments to mm-hmm. take. Uh, so there are times when the players that are on the panel, Messier with Dave Jackson, yeah, I I've heard him say, you got to be kidding me like
1: yeah really? yeah
2: um so, but you have to. They have to uh, use their their sort of softer approach to things. Sometimes, um, for me, with TSN, uh, they wanted the the hard truth, um, but done in such a way that it is educational as opposed to
1: critical. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point because I mean you don't want any any time to be firing somebody under the bus, but also some of the things that happened might have been done. There might have been a call that a ref didn't make be, for for good reason. You know, there's just yeah. the just a game management thing. You know, that kind of stuff, and then it can sure. kind of backfire a little bit. Um, so, Kerry, you've been retired for a few years now. You've you've obviously kept really busy um what is it that's keeping you going i know you you talk a lot about your wife kathy you've got you got yeah. seven you've got seven kids I, I don't know how many grandkids you got that that information's hard to find but 13 uh, 13, 13 grandkids we just, wow. we, we just
2: had our th- jamie our daughter uh, lawyer in st louis and her husband just had their third little boy a couple of months ago and uh, that's number 13 so that is really uh where we're at in our life right now yeah. um we have uh a lot of them close by us and uh, we go to their sporting events and uh, I go on the ice uh, with hockey practices. We've got our oldest grandson just got a a scholarship to play hockey uh, at Nazareth college. He's going to be a pre-med student, great kid. They're all great kids. And uh, so, you know, I'm I was asked one time on a podcast like this, uh, what my legacy, what I think my legacy will be. Yeah. And, you know, the, the moderator was thinking, oh, most games in the history of the NHL, blah, 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 this and that. And I said, my legacy is already written. It's in my children and in my grandchildren. Uh, that's what I'm leaving. And uh, I truly mean that. Um, there's nothing more important. Uh, God and family. Uh, and that's it.
1: Then no better answer, Carrie. Uh, Before I let you go, I have a segment on the show called Overtime, where I'll ask you some quick one-timer questions, followed by one special question for our listeners. Uh, would you mind sticking around for those? Absolutely. All right. And you're going to have a hard time with some of these, because I know how close you are to some of these players and people. So this is going to be tough for you. Okay. All right. Here we go. First one, Habs or Leafs?
2: <laughs> I grew God. up a Leaf fan. Grew up a Leaf fan. Uh, Habs, the best franchise in the NHL. Lemieux or Gretzky? Best player I saw, Gretzky, based on more assists than the next player had total points. But Mario, shortened career, could have been as great. Probert or Domi? Proby. Hands down, best fighter. Wa or Brodeur? Marty Brodeur, great guy.
1: Orr or Lidstrom?
2: Bobby Orr, transformed the game from the defensive position.
1: Claude Lemieux or Brad Marchand?
2: I love Claude Lemieux. I don't like the way Brad Marchand plays.
1: Okay, good. Iserman or Messier? Wow. (sighs) That is a coin toss
2: almost, but but Mess... Um, I saw, and I know you want a short answer, but no, I got to go I'll with Messier. And, and, and here's why: when Gretzky was traded away from Edmonton and they they started disbanding the team in 1990, Mark Messier took that team and won the Stanley Cup Finals on his back. They were they just snuck into the playoffs, and that guy was unbelievable. Then with the Rangers, I had the game six where he promised to win.
1: Yes. In
2: Jersey, at yep. the end of the second period, I had just given Esa Tekin and a kneeing penalty for kneeing Stefan Richet. I said to the, the two linesmen, uh, Gerard Gauthier, Pat DiPuzzo in the line, in the referee's room, officials room, I said, guys, stick a fork in these Rangers. They're done. Mess came out and scored a hat trick.
1: Yeah.
2: I would never doubt him again. And then he took them to the Stanley Cup final and yep. won in game seven. Amazing, amazing leadership. Intensity. He could freeze guys with his stare. Stevie Y did it in Detroit, but on a shorter spectrum.
1: Yeah, I knew that won't be tough because I know you have a lot of respect for Stevie eisman as well. Oh, big uh, time. Bowman or Burns?
2: You got to go with Scotty. I love Pat Burns. Pat yeah. was such a gentleman. uh I, I miss him and I love him. Uh, but Scotty, uh, with his transition. Through the eras, different eras, he became a different coach at different times based on the, the uh, time and the talent. Look at what he did with the Russian Five in Detroit. Uh, he transformed the game, in my opinion. Uh, Ron or Don? <laughs> I like grapes, and, and Ron's a former or a, a fellow official. So yeah. that's a kind of a, a coin <laughs> toss, too. I, I had arguments with Don Cherry. Lots of times. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we almost got into a, a little dust up in the, uh, in the dressing room in Montreal in the forum in uh, 1989. Uh, and uh, he, um, he was angry that I called a penalty in double overtime against uh, Mark Hunter. Uh, and it ended up in the in the game winning goal just before the second overtime period uh, had ended. Uh, when he ran Shane Corson from behind and put his face right into the boards from behind uh and it was a penalty that had to be called of course back then the old adage let him play it yep. meant let him cheat and uh we just about got into a dust up in the uh in the men's washroom
1: <laughs> I have to say I have to say Carrie one of my favorite, Don Cherry lines of all time was when one, one of his rock 'em sock 'em videos in the blooper reel, when you went, you go down in the ice and it's okay, folks, he landed on his hair. I, I remember that line with my brothers. We would tease our people like just classic stuff. So that's another. I, pres-
2: I presented my final whistle to Don Cherry on air uh, when I released the book uh, from uh, Wayne Gretzky's restaurant in Toronto and they called me to come up the street uh, for the intermission uh to talk about head hits and concussions
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh I had uh my whistle that I presented to grapes and he came out and I said listen I want to I want to give you this whistle you obviously didn't want me to blow it very often but he said I got a place where you can stick it he said <laughs> I got a place you can stick it and he auctioned it off he auctioned the whistle off for the uh, the uh, Canadian forces He's a very patriotic guy. Oh, yes, certainly,
1: certainly is. Shootout or no shootout. Game should end. Uh, I like the shootout. Okay. Final question. If you could go back and referee one more game, where would it be? And who would be playing and why?
2: It would be in Toronto. It would be the Hockey Hall of Fame alumni game with all of the greats the year that I'm inducted into the Hall of Fame.
1: It better be next year. There's a story there. There definitely is. There's a lot of stories there. Carrie, one final quote from the book. Courage and integrity are two qualities that officials in any sport must possess. I must say that you possess those qualities greater than anyone. Um, You are a true Hall of Famer and we don't need to get into the reasons you're not there because every hockey fan out there knows you should be. Um, I wanna thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. It's truly been a blessing for me to have this chance to speak with you. And um, I wish you nothing but the best health and happiness uh, in the future and um, enjoy the rest of your retirement.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. You, uh, you, you're a great orator and, and did a great job here. And uh, I wish you all the best uh, with your students and your officiating and all the good stuff that you're doing uh, over in Asia.
1: Thanks a lot, Kerry. I really appreciate it. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, Wheel Hub Asia, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, and of course, Sunset Studio. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at AcrossThePondHK. Email us, send in your comments and questions to the show at any time at AcrossThePondHK at gmail.com.